0: Welcome to the Podiatry Profits Podcast, where you will discover how to get more patients and multiply the profits of your practice with minimally invasive foot surgery, proven marketing systems, and ethical influencing to your patients. And now, your host, board-certified podiatrist, best-selling author, speaker, and founder of TJ On Coaching and Consulting, Dr. TJ On.
1: Hello everybody. I want to welcome you to our Podiatry Profits podcast. You might be listening to audio version, or you might be watching this as my YouTube channel, but I have a very special guest today. So today's guest is Dr. Tyson E. Franklin. He joined us from far away where I am in Chicago, uh, Illinois, United States, but he's in Australia. And I was honored to be his guest during the pandemic in 2020. And we've been talking about, Hey, I want to invite you to my podcast show. And then, you know, how things go. And finally, we got to chat again. And I'm so grateful and happy to invite Tyson here. So Tyson graduated from the Queensland University of Technology in 1988. And over 30 year period, opened, sold, and taken over and relocated well over 20 guys, 20 podiatry businesses. So he knows one or two about podiatry business, how it works. And he has won numerous business and management awards. He's the author of It's No Secret There's Money in Podiatry. And obviously I've already told you, but he's the host of, uh, of the Podiatry Legends podcast, which I was, again, fortunate to be a guest, he, he like 180, over 180 episodes there. Again, Tyson knows uh, this, his philosophy here, he knows he will never find a cure for cancer, but he hopes one day he will inspire someone who inspires someone and who inspires someone that will find a cure. I, I thought that was very profound philosophy there that we align a lot of areas very similar. But again, without further ado, welcome to our show, Tyson. G'day, TJ. It is fantastic to be here. And thank you for the invite. And
2: thank you for that that introduction. I was listening to that end part too about the inspire someone to inspire someone to inspire someone. And that was something I thought about a few years ago when somebody asked me, why do I do what I do? Even when I had podiatry clinics, I was still working in the business. And that sort of thought came across me that I know that I won't cure, I won't find the cure for cancer. I'm not a researcher, I'm not into that. But I know that well, I actually feel that I'm a small cog in the wheel that through what I'm doing with the Podiatry of Legends podcast, or it could be a workshop that you run, talk you do on stage, that there will be somebody in that audience or somebody somewhere one day that will hear something like, something, go, ah, that's changed my thinking. And they will, do something which will change somebody else's thinking, which will change somebody else's thinking. And then that person will cure world hunger, find the cure for cancer. They'll do something amazing. And when they trace it back. I'll be that one, one little cog in the wheel.
1: No, I did my part. Did my part. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. That inspires someone. And then when you see that person get inspired and deliver or impact their life, even if it's a little bit. And they will impact on other people's lives mm. because of my little help. And then that becomes exponential. And then when I see that outcome through a person that I've helped, that keeps me going. I'm sure you might have a probably similar like mission. What is your mission that I wanted to know because you were podiatrist before, but then now what are you typically up to as far as helping podiatrists? that also your kind of mission statement, if you would, like, why would you do what you do for podiatrists? I want to help
2: because when I graduated myself, podiatry was a different landscape 33 years ago, Mm. and it was really trial and error. Everything you had to do, you had to get in there, do it yourself, make mistakes, try and figure out where you went wrong. We do it again, make more mistakes. And it's, a, it's an expensive, long learning process. And even if you did get, go and work for somebody else that was in a, say, a nice clinic, it was still, they were still learning what to do. So the whole profession was trying to learn. So my mission now is to try and help educate podiatrists who, were, who are now where I was, help them speed up the process of working out how to run the business better, so that they're, they're educated in like different aspects of business, but at the same time have a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've always just felt that fun has always been a, an important part of my life, important part of my clinic. So when I'm teaching people, it's all, it's, I want to educate them, but I want them to enjoy the process and have fun at the same time. And that's why when it comes to business coaching, I honestly say to people, I'm not for everybody because I have a, a sometimes a sick sense of humor i see things funny that other people don't find funny (laughs) i I say things that are slightly inappropriate at times i'm always having a having conversations in my head making sure i say the right thing wouldn't mind somebody else's podcast as well yeah so yeah i just and i love seeing other people do well when you've given someone some advice and they come back to you and say oh i did that and that worked that worked really well I get a real kick out of that. So it's like I remember teaching my daughter how to ride a bike, and I remember the day I remember as though happened yesterday. The day she got it,
0: mm-hmm.
2: and all of a sudden, once she started to ride, and she just kept on riding until most rode off into the sunset. I had to go and chase her, but the enjoyment I got teaching my daughter to ride a bike is the same sort of enjoyment I get when I show somebody how to do something in the podiatry business, and they get Really good results.
1: Yeah, so that kind of makes you made you uh, look into more full time. Hey, I want to help podiatrists and colleagues more seriously, more structured manner, and more organized manner. It grew organically. Like how that's how my consulting business grew because just help one on one first, mm. and then I start seeing results, and then I get the kick out of it. And it makes me like want to do more in in a different level and different levels start. Before I knew it, start creating events, live events and live webinars. And just, I can start seeing that my messages grow because I'm exactly same as you that in America here, a lot of podiatrists, unfortunately, sadly, they forgot, they forget, they tend to forget why originally they became a doctor. Yeah. And podiatrists to begin with because of whole healthcare system change and environment that, especially private practice owner podiatrists, they don't have like good amount of knowledge and business skills. And they are, they're great clinicians and surgeons here, but when it comes to business, unfortunately, not many of us, any of us are, haven't been trained in that way. So most of them get come to real world and like when it turns in, in terms to, in terms of marketing and like communication skills and business systems and frameworks stressed out and they're like struggling, working too late, working too many hours. And so it's like a lot of people I met, they're distressed and they forget to have fun, so Uh, I know exactly where you're coming from. Yeah.
2: Definitely. Like I I have this model, a lot of the talks that I do. And I'll show this five step model. And the, the first step is like, you're an ambitious student. So you, you get into podiatry and you're like, I'm going to, yeah, you're quite ambitious. And then when you, you graduate and you're like an, an optimistic graduate, you sort of, you get out and you're like, I am going to take on the world. I've now got my piece of paper says I'm qualified. You're going to get a job and you've got these plans on what you're going to do. And then at a certain point and everybody goes through, this, this is like the third level. You hit what I call a frustrated clinician, uh-huh. mm-hmm. you just frustrated. And it's at that point where a lot of people I've seen have got, you know, I don't want to be a podiatrist anymore, I'm going to do something else. So they might go back to university, retrain at something. And then they go from a student to a graduate to a frustrated, whatever it is the next thing they never understood at what point, why did they get frustrated the next level above that? And this is where the work is needed is where you become what I call a happy podiatrist. And a happy podiatrist is doing more of what they like each day and less of what they don't like. That's really all it comes down to. And the more you do more of what you like, and the less you do less of what you don't like, the day becomes more enjoyable. And to me, that's the point where I think you want to get to is being a happy podiatrist. The fifth step is having a thriving podiatry business. Now, I don't think you have to, imagine just being a happy podiatrist. How cool would it be just to be a happy podiatrist if you want to have a thriving business, then that's great. But if you don't want to have a thriving business, just stay a happy podiatrist. There's nothing wrong with being a, a podiatrist. Yeah. yeah. And but people are frustrated. They want to skip being happy and they want to go to thriving and you can't get to thriving or you end up with is more frustration. As I, so like, it's, yeah. yeah, and that's a model that I use when I do my marketing workshops. I, I talk about that at the beginning when I do the 12-week reboot, I talk about that. It's just a model that I developed a couple of years ago and I just thought, because I was trying to figure out at what point do you go from frustrated to having a really good business? And I'm thinking, you can't until you find your happy zone. And and it doesn't mean that you go to work and every day it's, you know, butterflies and unicorns and everything is always joyful. You're still getting that patient that's a problem or a staff member that, is unhappy or somebody quits. So you're going to have these little ups and downs, but it's when you look at it as a whole, you're actually enjoying what you do. And I, I found for me, I loved the business behind podiatry. I really enjoyed the business behind it. I loved being with patients, but I didn't like necessarily being doing treatment five days a week. So I cut my time. When I found my happy zone, I was only working two days a week as a podiatrist in the clinic. But I was in the clinic pretty much from 7 a.m. in the morning till 7 at night because I loved it. I just really enjoyed being there. So I didn't feel that I was ever over. And then I I slowly worked out that I wasn't working too much at all. But I think that's the key for everybody is find what you like in podiatry, do more of it. Find what you don't like and do less of it and don't let anyone tell you that you can't choose what's right for you.
1: Definitely. Uh, yeah, I totally agree with you. The way I help doctors is exactly same idea. So what you get passionate about, and that's what I tell them to focus on and develop that as your niche. And then you just dive deeper and deeper because you love doing it anyways. Mm. And that's what makes you happy and excited to wake up. So whenever I, after I'm working with doctors and then like the Best praise for me is that compliment is that when they said, "TJ, you just helped me rejuvenate my practice," or "TJ, you just helped me get excited again to go back to my clinic tomorrow." Things like that. Gosh, I, I love that, and I I also often tell people we're one-way parachute from from the airplane, and we're coming downwards. Uh, we cannot hmm. go against the gravity. When we hit the land, we finish this this world, and oftentimes. We we don't think that day is not gonna that day is gonna come to us, but I know it. But that when that day comes, I don't want any of us to regret things that we should have done more or things that we sh- we should have not done. But you felt like you were forced to do it, or you felt like you had to give in. So I think that happy frustrated frustrated podiatrist to happy podiatrist. The way you you you're coaching. A lot of times it's a mindset, isn't it? But then I also realize it's tough to talk about mindset. If we don't have very organized systems and frameworks, frameworks, more, I talk to doctors that, so oftentimes I find, okay, here's some quick wins and here's some things that you can fix right away. And along that small increments of change, I see there's transforming into a new mindset. Would you see those similar the phenomena when you help uh, doctors? Yeah, definitely.
2: Because you've got, mindset is really important. If you've got a positive mindset, then if you're, you were trying to develop a strategy for your business or come up with some tactics for marketing, if you're in a really bad mood, you're negative, you know, the whole world's on your shelves, it's probably going to be really hard to come up with a decent strategy and a decent tactic. But if you've got a really positive mindset, your thing's completely different. However, if someone's frustrated and they're in the down in the dumps, like you said, you have to give them a couple of really quick little wins. It's like put in a recall system. Do you have an email newsletter? Things that they can do really fast, even with a negative attitude. And by doing those things really quick, they get a quick win. They they see a, oh, a slight bump in cash. That puts a smile on their face. And when that smile occurs, they're oh, all of a sudden the start to move in that happy zone a little bit. You're right. And the mindset does improve as the business slowly improves, but long-term, they can have a, a business going really well, have good strategies, have good tactics, but if they don't long-term work on their mindset, they will slowly just spiral back into their old habits <laughs> of negativity, not doing the work, seeing the, seeing the bad and everything. And sometimes, as some just do, they'll, they'll see a, a new competitor opens up who seems to be doing everything, doing so much better than them. And then all of a sudden, even if their business is going good, they can start to panic, Mm -hmm. make bad decisions. And while the other person keeps growing, then they start declining and then the negativity just spirals spirals out of control. So I think what you said, yeah, quick wins, to help with the mindset, but it's something they have to keep working on over a period of time.
1: Totally. So like ongoing support, ongoing accountability. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Being the great like community, like-minded people, I I think those will continue to uh, influence them in a positive, positive way.
2: Yeah, I spoke to a podiatrist the other day who was on the podcast and yeah, he was saying this, the same thing we were talking about uh, coaching and he said a lot of the times, yeah, and he has a coach that, yeah, it's not me, he has a coach, another coaching group, but he said, he doesn't really talk much anymore about his actual business and what he needs to do yes he helps they he sets some goals they keep him accountable but he said it's really they help with his mindset they keep him on track of just talking about what he's going to do and and keeping his attitude up he said that's worth so much more than oh show me another way to get another patient because you can give someone 10 ways to get 10 you know 10 different types of patients but if they don't have a really good attitude, there's 10 patients will come in and go, wow, they're, they were a lot of fun. And those 10 patients are leaving and they'll never be able to keep them.
1: Yeah. That's talking about patients. Maybe we can switch up a gear a little bit. So, yeah, we talked about mindset, importance of mindset and stages of podiatrists that you observe and help other doctors. Now let's say, assume we we keep their mindset up high in a positive attitude. What would you say about, like, that niche or ideal or patient that you know that you would say, or well, how to find? Or would you say any good advice for this listeners about like how to find good patients?
2: Yeah, it's one of the things you mentioned. You touched on before about you know niching your business. And I think you, you've got niching your business, and you have your ideal patient, and those two things work mm. together. So I think there should be if there's something you're really interested in, it could be triathlons. If you really want to niche your business into that area, then you're going to get a lot more triathletes coming into your business. Doesn't mean that your whole business is going to be full. Yeah, you know, that you won't see anybody else. You may see a lot of other people. Then you've got your ideal patient, and to me, it's especially if you've had when people first open up their clinic doors. They will see anybody that's breathing who has at least one leg, Mm -hmm. but just anyone that's coming in that will, is willing to give them some money. I've got bills to pay. I've got staff. I've got to keep busy. So they'll see anybody. But I think once you, you start getting patients coming in, there was a dentist that I was doing some work with. And he said something that I thought was really profound. And he said, when I first opened my business, I was prepared to see anybody that would pay me a dollar. He said, once I got the capacity and I was busy, I was prepared to see anyone that would pay me
1: $2. Interesting. Yeah.
2: So straight away, he's like, okay, I'll see anyone to pay the bills. But once he was paying his bills, you realized, you know what? I need to step it up a level. I need to work out who are my better patients. So I, I always tell uh, coaching clients, sit down and imagine your ideal client is sitting right next to you and describe them right down to their exact age. Females, 35, because some people say, oh, males or females between 35 and 55. I'm going, okay, so you're telling me how you would talk and communicate to a 35-year-old male would be exactly the same as you communicate with a 55-year-old female. Would you say that they've got the same lifestyle, they've got the same number of kids, are the children the same age, are they financially in the same position, are they doing the same sort of jobs? Because they so diverse, it's a, different. You've got yeah. Pick an age, pick a gender, and then really describe who this person is. And when people find it hard, I go, well, do the opposite. Describe what you don't want. Yeah. Do you want unhappy patients? No, I okay, can't happy. You want, you want them to be happy. Do you want them to be broke? No, no, I want them to have money. How much money would your, your ideal patient sitting in front of you, what would the income level be if you could pick the income for them? They might go, oh, um. a year, dual income, two kids, got a dog. they like walking in the park. Then all of a sudden they start being able to describe. I said, and the more detail that you can describe them said, once you've got that image in your head, now, how do you talk to that person? And everyone gets scared that, oh, but if I talk to Dino, the 42 year old cane farmer, who was a real one of my patients, who was my, one of my ideal patients. If I'm talking to Dino, the 42-year-old cane farmer, what about Mary, who's 48, who, who works at, well, this is American podcast, works at Walmart? I mm-hmm. go, okay, if the message you're giving Dino, he's your ideal patient. That's what you want him. And you want as many Dinos as possible. But I'll tell you right now, if Mary has a similar problem to Dino, she'll relate to that message and she will come in as well. But if you try and talk to Mary and you try and talk to Dino, the, the message will be confusing and neither of them will hear it. And you'll end up with Gordon. <laughs> Gordon comes in, who's a tie kicker, he's going to waste your time and give you headaches. And, that's, and so once you start doing that and you start getting more Dinos coming in, that you go, that's who I want. Dino is the person. Then you start interviewing Dino every time he comes in. So Dino, where do you shop? What car do you drive? What magazines do you read? Do you listen to the radio? Do you watch TV? Are you a member of a golf club? Are you any social organization? Do you do charity work? And you start gathering this information from your different dinos. Now you can do it face-to-face, like just talking them while they're in the clinic. Or you could do up a nice, well-thought-out survey with five questions is what we used to do. And we would send it out to the patients with the little uh, lotto scratchy card with a thank you for filling in the survey. Stamped self-addressed envelope included so they could easily send it back. We would always get 95% sent back to us. Nice. So hard copy surveys work really well mm. over email surveys, but then once you find out where they are, then you know where to put your marketing. And this is all the strategic level of, of building your business, is When you know where Dino is and where all your Dinos are hanging out, then That's where you put your marketing and then you test different tactics to see what works and and you might try something and you go, oh, it didn't work. Well, maybe Dino's not my patient. You go, no, maybe that tactic that you used was not good for Dino in right now or in this situation, then try something else. And over time you can have, I mentioned this to you before we press record, that your ideal patient will change over a period of time. Who your ideal patient is today may not be your ideal patient in five years' time. Yeah. So your interests might change. But when I had my clinic in cancer, and one of our, so Dino was our ideal patient. But then when all of a sudden lasers started becoming popular for fungal nails, we developed a different ideal patient for that piece of equipment. And we took the focus off of Dino for a little bit. We still had Dinos coming in, but then we put our concentration onto Yeah, Margaret, the 58-year-old female with fungal toenails who worked at Walmart and and went through that process. And then we pivoted some of our marketing towards that.
1: I love that. Yeah, I love that. When I work with doctors, same kind of worksheet and work, some work, initial work is what. who is your ideal patient clientele? And then that kind of gives them good head start and what type of patient client that you want to work with And then somehow that law of attraction works in also. And then if you have a couple of happy patients of that, your ideal patient clientele, I start seeing that more similar Mary, you know, Mm because Mary hangs out with similar, you know, type of people, economic, financial level and personality, hobbies. So they're going to start attracting similar type of clientele, like referral base as well. So then you will see transition of your patient clientele, culture of your patient clientele kind of changes. And again, it makes podiatrists happier and happier because they hang on with that type of patients. Yeah, when I was talking about Dino,
2: the thing is Dino was a real patient. And what was funny, I saw Dino two days ago. <laughs> so I sold my clinic five years ago and I saw him two days ago at a shopping center. And I think he had a big wave and a smile. But what was funny is when I... The type of clinic that I had and where I was aiming my clinic, when Dino first came in, the type of treatment that that Dino got was not what it, was not the ideal type of treatment. So he came in for like say general type treatment, mm-hmm. whereas my business was very much sports biomechanics and orthotics. And he's this person who didn't come in for that, but came in for something separate. But what made Dino great as a patient was he listened to everything I said is when he came in for the I said, oh, you've got this corn here and this is how it happens. And he wanted to know more. How can I fix it long-term? So then we started talking about the biomechanical aspects. And he said, that's what I need to do. That's what I'll do. Should I change my footwear? Yes, you should. So then he changed his footwear. So he went. For, he came in one way, but ended up becoming my perfect patient in so many other ways. But then he told his family to come in and see me. And then he'd tell his friends to come in and see me, just what you were talking about.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then I like that fact that you connect that into a marketing aspect to strategically how you can attract more of Dino uh, or Mary type that you like to meet and treat and help. Now, when it comes to treatment, I don't know how Australia typically does now, but in America still I'd say 85, 90% of podiatrists are very heavily insurance-based healthcare system, and they just don't know how to get out of it, how to escape from that insurance-based world, but I proved it is possible to create a, what I call hybrid concierge model that you choose insurance plan you want to work with, and then... My main focus is not insurance plan if insurance covers this treatment or not. My focus shifted, was shifted to how can I provide the best treatment solutions for each patient's problem and deformity. And that kind of helped me. But I don't know, in Australia, what is your typical pricing model and then how you help other doctors to get over that fear of talking about money with the patients?
2: Yeah, it's... To to me, money is a direct correlation to your own self-esteem and your own self-worth. So if there's a product or say an orthotic, for example, and it was going to be $500 and you'll get to go, oh, I don't know if the patient can afford it. And they start to panic. So they go, oh, I'm going to explain this over the counter orthotic and it's only 120. But what they don't realize is they're putting the same amount of time and effort into selling or explaining the $120 or, item yeah, as they are to the $500 it. item. And I came to realization it, it wasn't up to me to judge whether a patient could or could not afford something. So explain the best treatment that you think is right for that patient. It may not be orthotics. It might be shockwave therapy. It could be exercise rehab. It could be no treatment at all. Go home and stretch. can put your feet up, change your footwear. So to me, it's whatever you think is the best, that's what you should explain and not be concerned about the money side of things. Now, whether they have or have not got insurance, I used to think is not my problem. That's their problem. So even I know the insurance system in the United States is is really wacky and, and, and oh, yeah. crazy. Yeah. In Australia, our insurance system is so simple. It's just, you're either in a health fund or you're not, and if you are, You have a health fund card, you come and see me, we swipe your card through my FPOS machine, I -hmm. get paid straight away, you pay the balance and it's done. Nice and simple. No phone calls, insurance, no billing, (laughs) don't worry about that.
1: How about their waiting time? Is that because it is common in America now, HMO and ACO network, if doctors belong to those kind of big health system or network. Patients cannot see the specialist right away. They have to see a primary care doctor first and they have to wait for their referral to be cleared. And then usually uh, it's very sad, hard to see a specialist like us in America here with the phrenical surgeries, for example, for bunion problems, hammer they have to wait six weeks to see primary care doctor. And then another 10 to 12 weeks to see a specialist. So. It's definitely wacky how you describe, I don't know, in in Australia, it's very easy to make an appointment with podiatrists. Oh yeah. If somebody wants an appointment,
2: they just make an appointment. The difference over here is that in our undergraduate degree, when we do it, surgery is not part of it. Mm -hmm. Surgery is something, if you wanted to go and do, we do nail surgery and like simple things like that. But if you want onion operations and you want to learn how to become a podiatric surgeon, that's something you're going to do after you finish your podiatry degree.
1: Postgraduate
2: training. Yeah, so it's postgraduate training. And so it's it's a completely different ballgame because the majority of podiatrists that you'll drive past their podiatry clinics do not do surgery. Mm -hmm. So a patient all they're gonna do if they've joined a health fund, there might be a three three month waiting period before they can start claiming podiatry services, but they just ring up directly and just make an appointment. There is no referral. Even if you want to see a pediatric surgeon, you still don't need a referral to go and see them. You can just go and see them. I see. So it's a, it's a different, yeah, completely different system.
1: Yeah, but again, I see what is important here is that no matter if they do surgery or not, they run their podiatry practice. It's, they have, they should consider that as running business and applying and deploying some great business um, strategies and tactics. I I believe is universal. Yeah, oh, yeah, definitely.
2: in the world. It doesn't matter. Like I, I've had some American, I've worked with a few American podiatrists and I've had some that even, even my book, for example, I've like got some American podiatrists wrote five-star reviews for my book. I had some that wrote two-star reviews for my book and that the most, and anyone that's written a two or three, three, three-star review for my book, most of them have been American podiatrists. They've got, oh, the book's okay, but it doesn't relate to American podiatry. And I'm going, marketing is marketing. Correct. Everything I talked about was all about running a business and mark Had nothing to do with whether you're dealing with insurance companies or whether you're doing surgery. And they missed, they missed that concept of it that you know, strategy, tactics, mindset, doesn't matter what country you're in. That applies to every single business, whether it's podiatry or it's the baker down the road. It's all the same.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't agree with you, um, any more than that. It's so true that even completely different vertical, right? Like we're talking, if it is business, you have to have your niche that is competitive and there is a high demand and you just have to know how to do sales process. And then once you get that done, then how would you deliver the messages out there so people know? So I believe. It doesn't matter even any profession, especially service business, service industry like we do, that not being just a technician or a surgeon or physician, that's not enough to survive, especially this new environment post-pandemic. And looks like oh. the whole economic reset is going on, right? It's crazy. It's, I've seen podiatrists
2: almost lose their businesses during the pandemic, and I've seen other podiatrists expand and set up yeah. second, third locations during the pandemic. And you go, wow, isn't that interesting? They're same age and you've got one who set up two or three more clinics over the last year and a half and another one who's struggling to hang on to their clinic. And that comes right back to what we talked about before about the mindset. It's because the person who's really struggling has gone, "I oh, know this is terrible, and they're looking at all the negativity that's going on in the world. And the other person's gone, oh, wow, this is a great opportunity. There's more people out there exercising because no matter where you were in the world, even you were allowed to exercise. Couldn't go to work. You couldn't do other things. Couldn't have people at your house, but you could exercise. So I think some of those people tapped into, there's going to be a lot of people out there with foot problems. So they saw the positives, kept doing the marketing and benefited from it. Whereas the other person went, oh, I've got to cut back on everything. They panicked, made their staff panic. So can you imagine walking into work and your boss is there going, oh, geez, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I don't know if I'll be able to keep everybody here. And you're an employee and you're going, oh, you get home, you say to your partner, geez, the, my boss is concerned, I might lose my job. And uh, then the next day, a friend says, hey, we're looking for somebody at our work because it's uh, we're really busy. We can't find out, Oh, okay. So you right. resign and you go on the, the other job and then the person's there go, all oh, my staff have left, everyone's panicking and the business just keeps going out of control. Whereas the other person has, has gone in with really good leadership, positive attitude. Their staff feels safe. And that's what I think some employers have got to realize is your, the people that work for you, their livelihood is in your hands. And they want to know that they're well looked after. So you've got to show really strong leadership no matter what has happened. I love that.
1: Yeah, great advice. Yeah, being a and, leader, yeah.
2: Yeah, and if you fail at that, if you fail to lead your team at all times and you walk in and you're bitter about something or you're, you're, just, you're negative in any way and they think my job could be at risk here, they are going to jump ship because… You'll no longer care about. You're not. They're concerned that you don't worry about. They're not concerned about their livelihood anymore. So I think it's something that people will really be aware of.
1: Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, I think we're at that um, economic reset, financial reset, global reset. Um, for some reason, well, one reason or the other, it happened last year, and then I think either you're gonna make it or fail it. It's all comes into that mindset, positive attitude, being a straight, i mean, a great leader, um, it's all kind of back to going back to that, that positive mindset. I believe that is so critical for you to uh, serve, for you to survive, not only just survive, but really thrive. Cause I definitely see exactly the same thing. One doctor creating multiple locations to what well, now one private client of mine, he Built from four locations to 12 locations in just past year. So he said, Yeah, he's had the best year ever. But then, just like you said, he takes care of his employees, so positive about everything. I think I might know. He has he been on my podcast as well. He might have. I don't know. I don't know.
2: Because I know I, yeah, on my podcast, I had any, he's a different name. And, yep. Yeah. And Patrick, the reason I kept getting back on my podcast is. Every time I spoke to him, he, was, he had taken over another two clinics. So during the pandemic, he had actually grown, I think, from like four clinics to 10 clinics. That's why I thought it may be in him because you said 12. I thought, well, he's probably added two more on there. But yeah. such a positive attitude. So I could just imagine him at work with just him walking in, there would be so much leadership just bouncing off of him. That everyone would go, well, my job's safe. I'm not going anywhere.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is true staffing. That's another big topic among my mastermind that we have 22 members right now, and that was a big topic, how to manage our staff to hire and how to dehire or fire or how to improve and motivate your staff. And again, everything came back to the mindset of you as a leader and create the culture of your team. It just influenced your, your staff and your team so much. Uh, man, I, we can talk this forever. Now <laughs> I better, I want to make sure I bring you back in the, uh, again and again, but it comes to the uh, conclusion side that where people um, can find more about what you do for podiatrists, for people who, who might be interested in learning more about what My website
2: is probably the easiest thing. It's just tysonfranklin.com. Nice and simple. It's really easy. And if they want to send me an email, ask a question, it's just tf at tysonfranklin.com.
1: Tyson, okay. Another question, quick question before we end the show. Would you like, do you come to America at all? Like some kind
2: of business summit. I used to come every year. Most of the time I would come over there at least once a year, sometimes twice since two thousand and twelve, was always coming over. And then COVID hit. And that's put a bit of a damper on that. Now I'm a prisoner in Australia. But next year, twenty twenty two, I'm planning on getting back over there.
1: Nice. I'm planning on organising a business summit for podiatrists, so all right. we'll definitely keep in touch. I, I would love to invite you. Time of the year, are you planning on that? Probably March or May, but I'm when, not- or potentially July, because in July I do big annual international minimally invasive surgery cadaver lab workshop, but I might do one or two day beforehand. If, so if that happens to be that way, it's July, but otherwise it will be most likely March or May.
2: Oh, that'd be fantastic.
1: Yeah. So I'll definitely let you know, and we'll keep updated. And again, thank you so much for your friendship. Thank you so much for coming to our show and share your uh, advice, your suggestions and wisdom, helping so many podiatrists. And I'm so grateful that we have a person like you to support and coach colleagues to have a better life and from your court, from frustrated podiatrists to yeah. happy podiatrists. I love that. It's oh TJ.
2: Thanks for having me on. It's, it's one of these things like people probably picked up pretty early on that. I like to talk. So I've never had a problem talking. So <laughs> having a podcast and all that has been fantastic, but one I like yourself and there's a number of other people out there who... We've developed skills in this area of coaching and business, and we're all different. We all look at things slightly different. We we learn a lot from each other. I've listened to your podcast. I've picked up things. Every time I listen to an episode of any podcast, I always learn something. So I think it's great for the profession that we've got people who are specialists in certain things, but also that are specialists and passionate about the business side of podiatry. And I think everybody is is going to benefit from that. So I think bring your summit on in 2022.
1: That sounds great. Hey, um, thank you so much again. And then again, everybody who's listening to this show or watching this as a video. Thank you so much for watching till the end. And we'll see you guys in the real life, real in-person or over the internet somewhere very soon. Everybody stay safe and healthy and take care. Bye.
0: You've been listening to the Podiatry Profits Podcast with Dr. T.J. Ahn. To find out more about Dr. T.J. Ahn or discover how you can grow your podiatry practice, visit drtjan.com. or you can also get a free copy of Dr. Ahn's selling book, Opt Out, How to Take Back Financial Control of Your Private Clinical Practice Without the Hassle of Insurance Companies. Just go to OptOutBook.com.